You're listening to Coaching Skills for Leaders. This is episode 21, airing on January 16th, 2012. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching Skills for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to develop their coaching skills so that they can help others achieve their maximum potential. Whether you're a seasoned leader or you're leading people for the first time, improving your coaching skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic is your strengths and blind spots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coaching Skills for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and I'm coming to you from Innovate Learning Studio here in beautiful Orange County, California. And I am excited to have you back this week to continue our series on personal leadership. And one of the important lenses to look through when we're talking about personal leadership and the importance of focusing on ourselves first so we can lead well understanding our own personality type and our own personality preferences. And I'm very excited this week to have been able to interview a guest who is someone that I have a tremendous respect for and is just an expert when it comes to personality types and team dynamics. And that's uh, uh, my colleague and dear friend, Susan Gerke. And Susan is someone who just uh, is a master at uh, these tools. And so rather than uh, spend time telling you about the the tools myself, I wanted to bring her in and provide some additional perspective. And so uh, the uh, interview following here, I sat down with Susan just a couple of days ago and had a chance to talk with her about some of the personality dynamics, why we should care as leaders about these things. And then we also look at the spectrum of directing and informing, and that'll make more sense as you listen to this interview. So sit back, relax, and here's my interview with Susan Gerke. Okay, I'm here with Susan Gerke. Susan is the president of Gerke Consulting and Development and is also a senior facilitator for Innovate Learning. And Susan is a dear friend of ours, and she is, in addition to running her own business, uh, really someone that I see as an expert on personality types and team team dynamics. Uh, she's even written a book called The Eye and Team, which is how to utilize personality types effectively in order to uh, be effective in working with teams. And Susan, when I look at your bio on our website and on your website, I, 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 f- I feel like I'm someone who knows a little bit about personality types and has done some research on it. I am amazed at how much you know and the certifications you have. And so I'm so excited that you're here today to talk with us about strengths and blind spots. So welcome to Coaching Skills for Leaders. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Great to be here with you. I I am honored. And so, um, you know, we've been talking all this month with uh, the listeners of the show about the importance of knowing ourselves first as leaders before we're able to really lead others effectively. And so I was curious from your perspective, um, why do leaders need to know their strengths and blind spots? Why spend time focusing on this? You know, I think if we know where we're coming from, it gives us more space to be able to flex to meet somebody else's needs. Um, I always feel like if I'm really centered on knowing who I am, it's easy to flex left, right, up, down, wherever I need to go. Mm -hmm. If I start off kind of off balance, if you will, I've got no place to go. Mm. 
Uh, so self-knowledge helps me know where do I come from naturally and easily? And, and how might that be different from somebody else? I, I go back to for myself, I'm very natural at organization skills. And early on, I thought everybody was. Yeah. Mm, not so much. Yeah. So once I learned they weren't, it changed the way I had expectations of others and that I was more, um, uh, gave them more space maybe to not do it the same way I do and maybe be some help to them when I could. Mm. By the same token, there's areas where I don't have strengths at all. And I've learned that there's probably other people who do. And if I understand those of myself, then I can reach out and find others who can help me be better in areas that I'm maybe not so naturally good at. Yeah. I know you work with clients all the time on uh, helping them recognize their personality strengths and blind spots. How do you see that playing a role in how people lead others? Um, Well, what I've experienced is for leaders who aren't self-aware, they tend to lead others the way they would like to be led. Uh And so by increasing their self-knowledge and recognizing that there's other ways then they begin to learn how to pay attention to somebody else's needs and lead in a way that will actually help that person. One of the key areas that comes up all the time is how to give feedback. Mm-hmm. And we tend to give feedback the way we like to receive feedback, whether that be public, whether that be lots, whether that be not very much. And then we realize other people don't really need it in the same way or want it in the same way at all. And so our feedback's not working because people can't hear it because we're not doing it in a way that works for them. It's kind of like that same part of us that buys the Christmas gift for someone that we really like and enjoy, but it's that that same part of that mind that we we tend to treat others the way we like to be treated ourselves, and it comes from a good place and yes. what we understand. But it's often, especially in a leadership capacity, the 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 other person isn't doesn't tune in the kind of that same wavelength that we do necessarily. Right. That's right. So we end up in trying to do what we think is so right. We yeah. end up creating a bigger issue sometimes. Hmm. So there's a number of different lenses we could we could look at here. And you and I were talking before we even started this interview. You, we could spend an we could spend hours yes, we, <laughs> we talking actually, about personality. We could. But but uh rest assured listener, we will not do that today. We will stick to our 30 minute time frame here. But um but there's there's a number of different lenses to look through. And I know one of the very valuable lenses that you've used over the years, um uh, there's a, a friend of yours and and someone who I very very much respect uh, named Linda Barons who's developed a model around um, called interaction styles and how uh, people and leaders really can interact well in, in their communication that plays to their personality strengths and blind spots. And so I thought maybe today we'd look at one aspect of that, and that's the aspect of directing versus informing. So so let's dive into that a little bit. Could could you tell me a little bit about the the difference between directing and forming and just kind of how that uh, how that plays out in our communication styles? Yeah, great. Happy to. It's a it's a really interesting dynamic I find, Dave. So so some of us more naturally have language that we call directing language, which really means we have a a task and time focus. In other words, I want you to do something and I have a time frame in mind. So I direct you. Mm-hmm. So I tell, I ask, I direct, I urge. So I might say something like, please hand me your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Informing language, on the other hand, has a more process or motivation focus. I want you to want to do it. So I want you to do something, but I only want you to do it if you want to do it. Mm. That's different than me wanting you to do something because I want you to do it, which is more the directing style. So 
When that's the case, then I want to inform or explain or describe or inquire. And so I might say something like, um, gee, a glass of water would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I only want one if you really want to get me one. Right, right. But a glass of water would be nice. Uh, My favorite example is actually one that I use that's my husband and me. My my natural language is directing. I was born, I think, telling people what to do. Okay. And my husband's natural language is absolutely informing. And we didn't even understand this dynamic at the time. And um, Dave wears contact lenses, and I carry eye drops in my purse for him. Mm. He and I were walking through the mall one day, and he said to me, my eyes are dry. I said, gee, honey, that's really too bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, it turns out he wanted the eye drops. Yeah. I had no idea. Because with my directing style, I would have said, may I have the eye drops? Give me the eye drops. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to say, give me the eye drops. And it wouldn't have been, my eyes are dry. Yeah. And so, but he just wanted to give me the information so I could act on that information. And that's really the key difference. It, He's not trying to manipulate me. He's mm-hmm. not trying to be, that's just his way, his natural way of giving information in order to get something to happen. And I know one of the things that we talk about when we talk about personality types is really looking at things through, through the language of preference and that we all do all of these all the time. Right. Certainly uh, you and I both tend to uh, default to the directing <laughs> type language, yeah. but there are certainly times I find myself using informing yes. language, and I also have friends and, and colleagues who are use informing language more often, but can be very directive if they choose to be. So this is more of a not that we would just do one or the other, but a kind of our our for lack of a better term, what we would default to, kind of our our preference. Yeah, absolutely our preference. And and some of us have learned over time how to use the other style, in fact, pretty well. Uh, but again, that's probably learned. Mm. I've met people who haven't learned it at all and really stay very locked into one style or the other. So again, that's why in coaching relationships or in, in working with leaders and so on, we try and help them learn how to you choose the language that's appropriate for the situation at hand. Is this a situation that calls for directing because it's very urgent or you're asking somebody to do something that they've never done before? Well, you need to give them the steps. Do A, do B, do C. Mm-hmm. Or is it a situation where somebody's very senior and very practiced at what they're doing and you just need to say, need that report and they'll go figure out when and how and all of that kind of stuff. And so we need to learn to flex. What I've found is when we get stressed, it's very easy to get locked into whatever's natural for us. Mm. Okay, none of us are stressed these days. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right, and so that ends up being an issue. So if I can understand that stress is a trigger and that I'm more likely to go naturally to directing, then I can be more choiceful about saying, okay, here's a situation. This is where I'm probably going. That might not fit right now. Let me shift what I'm doing. Yeah, and I, I, that's a really interesting point because you know when I think of the leaders I work with and and that we coach, that uh, more often than not, when there's coaching opportunities that are there or learning opportunities, those do tend to show up in stressful situations because yeah. either something hasn't worked right or there's something new that's happening, and by the very 
definition, that's a stressful situation more so than kind of the everyday, whatever else has been going on. And so we do tend to kind of fall back to what we're used to and what we're comfortable with. And I I also think it's interesting. You mentioned your, your husband, Dave, and, um, that we do tend to find ourselves in relationships sometimes with people who are opposite our preferences, don't we? Amazing how that happens, right? Yeah. And so he and I laugh a lot at our house about this directing and forming stuff. I bet, I bet, yeah. I, you know, it just comes up all the time. So he'll say something and I'll say, and is there an action item in there for me? <laughs> uh, or when I say things, I come across a little bit too bossy sometimes and then he'll just, you know, laugh with me or say, okay, boss or something. And so either one of us has the opportunity to make fun of ourselves and each other a little bit with it. Sure, sure. So, uh, what are the what do you what are the advantages and the times that uh, a leader would want to tap into more directing type language and some of the strengths and reasons we'd want to use that as leaders? So, so definitely in um, urgent situations. Now, what we need to be careful of is in today's world, everything feels urgent. Everything feels like a, t- a short time frame. Mm-hmm. But true urgent situations, if you know, suddenly you and I were sitting here and we smelled smoke. This is your place. I would expect you to say, follow me, Susan, and we'd get out of here, right? Mm -hmm. That's very directing, follow me. You wouldn't probably say, hmm, smoke. And so in a really urgent situation, directing is absolutely critical. And truly when somebody's new at something very specific direction as well. The other thing I find is sometimes as a leader, I've been giving direct, given direction and I don't have any choice. My boss has said it needs to be this way. It needs to be in this time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm best off to pass that down to the next person in a directing way as well so that they don't think they have latitude to be choiceful about what they're doing. But in fact, they'll just respond and do exactly what I say. Now I can say, sorry, we don't have any choice here. Please do ABC. So I can at least help them understand why I'm being so direct. Yeah, and when the time is there that there is not flexibility, that it's very clear what's expected. And I, I run into this all the time, and I'm sure you do too, Susan, that of leaders who are not clear of what they want and maybe using too much informing language when they should be using more directive language, and then they get something they weren't expecting, and they get very frustrated yeah. at the person they're leading. And the person, rightfully, you know, is thinking in their mind, how was I supposed to know? And, uh, you know, I did exactly what was asked or not asked and I did the best I could. So uh, exactly. that does get people into trouble. A bunch. Yeah. What, uh, what would be the the blind spots or the things that, and if particularly those of us who do have more of a preference for directing that get, gets us in trouble. Yeah. A couple of things. One is if directing is the style you use all the time, you might create some lazy employees because if, I might get to a point where I just say, why do I even do anything? I'm just going to wait because he's going to tell me what to do anyway, or she's mm. going to tell me. So we create this pattern of them getting ex- expecting that they'll get very specific direction. So they just wait. So they aren't demonstrating initiative. So that's one concern. The other huge one is you can actually create what's called malicious compliance. And so you get people who begin to do what you say, exactly what you say, and only what you say and now you're going to have unintended consequences. I, I say, I tell you, Dave, go do A, B, and D. You go do A, B, and D and bring it back to me. I say, well, where's C? You didn't tell me to do C, Susan. And so 
we be careful we create these monsters if you will and we're like what's wrong with these people yeah and it becomes a power game almost and so it's us not being thoughtful about when it's appropriate when it's not so if you use it all the time it's just not going to work and if we look at the informing side what would be the times and situations that as as leaders and coaches we'd want to be maybe trending more toward informing even if it may not be our our preference informing really is about giving people ownership so it's empowering for people so if i'm trying to grow my people develop my people have them um, stretching thinking outside the box a little bit taking some ownership on their own uh, informing language is going to help me do that so i can say you know it'd be nice to have a report about xyz and then see if you want to pick up on it and do it and and create it in some way and you know what if you don't i can't blame you for that because i haven't said so please go create one. Mm-hmm. But I'm creating a space for you to begin to think on your own and do on your own. So employees I'm trying to develop, employees who are more senior also is a place I would use. it. all I have to do is say, hey, Dave, it's time for this week's podcast. You know what that means, what has to happen, all the steps involved. Right. I don't have to tell you all those things, right? I can just give you a clue that something needs to happen. So People who are experienced and know what they're doing, just give them that much information and they'll go figure out what to do about it. So it opens up more of those doors for creativity, for autonomy, for uh, initiative, some of those things. And and we've talked a lot about that in the show of just the importance of really empowering people to do those things well. And it's amazing how just your language can make a difference in somebody feeling that you actually want to give them those opportunities. Yeah. So what's where does the informing language get people into trouble then uh, when maybe they shouldn't use it or if they're using that too much? Yeah, well, one of the things is it, I use informing and you don't even have any idea how to do what it is I want you to do. If you have never done uh, a spreadsheet, for example, and I'm saying, gee, it'd sure be nice to have a spreadsheet about X, Y, Z, so you you go try and figure it out, but you don't have any idea and you're not quite sure what I really want and what why are we even doing this and mm-hmm. how's it you you are likely to not be successful and get very, very frustrated. And so versus if you're the spreadsheet guru and I just say, Hey, it'd be nice to have a spreadsheet about blah, 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 you're like, Oh good, yeah, I'm on it, man, and you'll figure out how to do it, and you'll have all these great ideas. So I need to be thoughtful of not using informing with somebody who wouldn't have any idea how to do what it is mm. I'm you know, putting out there for them. We also find with informing, we, the place that gets us in trouble is when I think I've actually asked you to do something and you didn't pick that up. Yeah, It, it certainly happens verbally. Um, in today's world, as we spend so much time working with people remotely, it can be an issue as well because now I'm, maybe send you an email or on a conference call, I might say something like, uh, you know, we're out of ink. And you're thinking, wow, that's too bad. Mm -hmm. And I think I've actually asked you to purchase ink when you go to the store tomorrow or something. And then you don't get ink. And then I'm mad at you because you didn't get ink. And I, and that happens all the time, Susan. I see that constantly. I'm sure you do too with people of that. They, we, uh, I think it was, Oh, who was it that said the greatest, it may have been, may have been Plato, the greatest uh, enemy of communication is the belief that it happened. (laughs) (laughs) You know? 
Yeah, we think as soon as we press send on email that the communication's done. Well, it's not. And everyone's already read it and it's all uh, the news is out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and an interesting aspect that we really haven't touched on is directing and informing language will show up in your emails. Mm. And so we do need to be thoughtful about, am I giving a very informing email and people are reading it and not sure. I had a colleague who had sent, used to send me regularly, you know, here's some, something I'm working on. She'd send it to me and I think, oh, that's interesting. And if I had time, I'd look at it. And if I didn't, I wouldn't get to it. And then she would get mad because I hadn't given her feedback on it by a certain date. I was like, I didn't know you wanted feedback and I certainly didn't know when you needed it by, mm-hmm. oh. But informing is very, very natural for her. And so... She, she would miss the fact that I needed more information than that. And it really does make the world work better for you when you see both of these sides of, of this spectrum, even if you prefer one. I know I just last week had a colleague who um, we were trying to figure out a time to get together on something, and mm-hmm. I wanted to meet pretty early, and she doesn't like to work early. And it, but the only time that worked for me was 8 a.m. that day. I said, well, well let's meet at 8 a.m. And she, she responded. She said, 8 a.m. Well, is that really, is that the best time for you? And <laughs> and I knew as soon as she said that, I knew exactly what she was saying because I've worked with her for years and she's very, very, um, has a preference for informing. And I knew she was saying, I don't want to be at 8 a.m. <laughs> but my language is very different. But the great thing is, is that I know that about both of us. Yeah. So I was right away able to recognize that. And we were, we dialogued about it and we resolved it very quickly. Yeah. And it didn't have to be the argument that sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, these little things though, you know, when we lose rapport with people and these little things, people's like, well, that's not a big deal. Like figuring out a time meeting becomes a big deal. If that, if that causes tension in the relationship, those little things turn into big things in organizations. Exactly. You and I see it happen all the time, unfortunately. Yes, we do. So if I am, if I'm listening to this uh, podcast today and, and trying to figure out which, how do I fall on this spectrum? Is there anything that we can do that's helpful to, you know, as us as leaders, just to figure out, you know, where we are and where our preferences are in these? There, there really are. Um, one is li- just listen to yourself. You, we've just raised your awareness about a way to think about how you communicate. And so start listening to yourself. How do you ask people or tell people or whatever? Uh, another one is go read your emails that you have sent that you have not spent any time editing. Mm. Once you've edited, you've, you know, contaminated, if you will, but go read the <laughs> right. ones that you just typed and sent. And there's a good chance that they'll either be very directing or very informing in nature. Oh, interesting. That's a great suggestion. You, you might just ask some colleagues. I, other people might be able to be very clear with you about uh, what your spouses are good for spouse, that too. <laughs> spouses are fabulous for that, right? Yeah. Um, there's another really interesting uh, thing that Linda Behrens has always shared, and that is our gestures. It turns out that people with a natural directing style tend to have what we call start and stop gestures. So when I point or I uh, move my hand in such a way that there's a very clear beginning and end and informing style is our more rounded and fluid gestures. Mm. So watch your gestures in a mirror or videotape yourself and watch your gestures or watch gestures of others. And you might pick up some clues about what the natural style is versus what's learned. Fascinating. I mentioned up front that you really are someone who's a, a, an expert in team dynamics and, and Susan is just an incredibly gifted facilitator. I've seen you facilitate on many occasions. Um, you have a great uh, resource available for people called Go Team. And I know there's a webinar coming up that our listeners may be interested in as well too in February. Could you say a little bit about both of those? 
Yeah. So GoTeam is a product that my colleague David Hutchins and I co-developed. You may be familiar with David. He His most current book is called A Slice of Trust. Uh, David and I created a set of 18 individual learning modules for teams, each are two to three hours in length on topics like clarifying our roles, managing conflict, giving each other feedback, etc. One of them, of course, is about style differences and specifically deals with directing and informing language, mm. as well as some other dynamics. And so that's a product that we or anybody who's good at working with teams can use to help their teams be more successful. We uh, have built a relationship with an organization called the International Association of Team Facilitators, or Mm. IATF. A gentleman named Tom Heck runs that organization, and he runs webinars regularly. And so David and I have one scheduled on February 22nd. I believe it's 1 p.m. Eastern time. Don't think it's up on his website yet, but we are going to be dealing specifically with teams and communication. David's going to spend some time on one model, which has to do with advocacy and inquiry and how to use that successfully. And I'm actually going to go into a little bit more depth than we have today on directing and forming. So that might be an opportunity for people to join us if they'd like to learn a little bit more. So I am going to put a link to that on our website. It's uh, not up today, but we'll get it up there real shortly as soon as it's available online. So that'll be February 22nd. I'm also going to put a link to Susan's book, The Ion Team, and her Go Team website. So if uh, what we've talked about today sounds like something that may be of interest to you or your organization, check it out. Uh, Susan is just incredibly gifted in her work and has done a fantastic job of putting together wonderful materials. And, uh, and I also happen to notice you have a lot of Dave's and David's in your life. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're Dave. I'm married to Dave, my partner, David. You're right. I have a lot of Dave's and David's in my life. May, may you be blessed with many more. <laughs> and they're, they're all fabulous, Dave. Susan Gerke is the president of Gerke Development and Consulting and is a senior facilitator for Innovate Learning. Susan, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks so much for the opportunity, Dave. Fun to chat with you a little bit. Likewise. Isn't she great? I uh, always enjoy talking with Susan Gerke because she has so much knowledge and such a wonderful passion for uh, this work and for personality types and helping people to be productive working with each other. And one of my favorite stories about Susan over the last uh, few years is uh, we've had the pleasure of partnering with her on a number of projects in the past. And uh, in particular, we had a client we worked with for about, eh, about four years or so on an ongoing project that ended this past year. And when the project ended, uh, our client said to us uh, that one of the things that uh, she was proudest most in her career and her tenure with her organization, uh, one of her top five things she was most proud of was being able to have a facilitator like Susan Gerke come into their company and facilitate. And uh, so I think that just really speaks to her talent and her passion for what she does. So I'm so glad we got to have her and hope to have her back at at some point. And I put all the links for Susan's resources and the webinar. If you'd like to learn more about directing versus informing, by all means, uh, check out the show notes for this show. This is episode 21, and that's at innovatelearning.com. Just search for episode 21. It'll be on the homepage this week, uh, right on the front. And of course, we have two more episodes coming up in our series here on personal leadership. One of them is going to be next week, January 23rd. We'll be talking about creating your personal vision. And then January 30th, your 2012 action plan, where we'll put all these pieces together and how to really take action to 
develop yourself and to develop others this year. And then in February, we're going to transition to talking about engagement and how to keep people engaged. And that's an important topic these days uh, too. It's an important topic anytime, but it's especially important now. And we'll talk about why once we hit February. And of course, as always, if Susan and, 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 and I have raised questions for you on personality preferences and or if you have any other questions or feedback for us or for some of these upcoming topics, uh, send me an email to feedback at innovatelearning.com. Or you can call me anytime and leave a message at our listener hotline, which is 877-LEARN-45. So again, that's 877-LEARN-45. And I did receive an email from Fazilla this week. Fazilla, I hope I'm saying your name right too. Um, She emailed feedback at innovatelearning.com with uh, a comment, and I wanted to read that and respond to her. She says, hi, Dave. New Year greetings from the Northern Atmosphere. I was... Introduce, she's in Canada. Uh, I was introduced to your podcast by a dear friend and uh, five ways to support people in learning, which was episode 18, uh, was the first thing that caught my interest because I've taken up a position to teach nursing research to undergrads in McMaster University in Canada. Anyway, I'd like to applaud you on your contribution and dedication to innovate learning and leadership. And I've been in a position where I've had to lead people and have attended many leadership conferences and workshops over the years. I agreed with you on many of the concepts that you had brought up during your podcast, and I can't help but wondering if you may explain to me, somehow in this podcast, number 18, there are some similarities to mentorship in supporting people and learning. What's your take on that? Good work and hear from you soon. Cheers, Fazilla from Hamilton, Ontario. Fazilla, thank you so much for sending uh, an email with feedback. I'm uh, so glad you were able to join us for that episode. And also a huge thank you to your friend for uh, putting uh, you in touch with the show. And thank you to them as well for listening. And uh, in addition, congratulations to you on the teaching position at McMaster University. Boy, anytime I've been had the privilege to teach university courses, I think it's just such a wonderful privilege and honor to be able to step into a university to facilitate learning. So congratulations to you, and I wish you all the best with your upcoming opportunity. And uh, to answer your question, uh, yeah, absolutely. There were some things that we mentioned around, or that I mentioned around mentorship in episode number 18. And those of you who have listened to the show from the very beginning may remember back in episode number four that I had gone through a detailed uh, kind of a distillation of all the different competencies out there, mentoring, consulting, counseling, coaching, and kind of what are the differences between all of those different types of things. And so if you haven't already listened to that, you may want to go back to episode number four. You can find that either on iTunes or on our website, innovatelearning.com, and check that out. Um, But to your question specifically, Fazil, there absolutely are aspects of mentoring that come into that. And for uh, just for a purpose of, uh, of a refresher, Mentoring is really providing advice and perspective from experience. So generally, this is from somebody who knows a lot about a process, and it can be formal or informal. Some organizations are very formal with their mentoring programs. Others may be more informal. But mentoring is a wonderful way to learn from someone who generally has more experience than you do, and a lot of times you're learning from them from their experience. Whereas coaching tends to be more the process of developing a person through rapport, assessment, feedback, planning, implementation, and evaluation. Those are the six things that I've been focusing on in this ongoing series and will continue to focus on. 
But are there aspects of both when you're developing people? And the answer is absolutely. In fact, I've never yet had a situation where I've worked with a client for any length of time. And even if we were doing what we called quote unquote coaching, where we were going through the process of rapport building and doing assessments and feedback and helping them to learn new tools and going through an evaluation process, absolutely there are aspects of mentoring that come into that. Uh, There's aspects of training that come into that. And that's my background partially too, is training and facilitation. There's aspects of consulting that sometimes come into that. And so um, one of the things that, you know, there are the people out there that are sort of the purists to say, oh, if you're coaching, you should just coach. Or if you're just if you're mentoring, you should just be a mentor. And my belief is, is that when someone hires me, uh, and I'm a, you know, I'm an external consultant, so normally it's someone hiring me versus me leading somebody in an organization, is they want my full range of skills and they hire me for my full range of skills and my expertise and my uh, experience. And so when that is helpful to provide, I'm going to provide it to somebody. So I may do some mentoring. I may do some training and stop with someone and say, hey, let's work on developing the skill and do some training specifically. Um, I don't do counseling or therapy. That's a whole different subject, which I talked about in this episode four. So you can go back and learn more about that if you'd like. But There's a lot of different aspects we play. And I think the thing that's important for us to know, for those of us who lead and are privileged to be able to develop people in this way, is just to understand the distinctions. We don't necessarily have to point it out to people and say, hey, I'm coaching you now, and now I'm going to be mentoring you, and now I'm going to be training you. But just so we understand the the distinctions between those, because each one of these areas is a skill set. And if we can learn this skill and utilize it well... And if we can bring it to the people we're serving, whether those are people that we lead in work, whether those are people we lead as volunteers, whether they're in a classroom, whether it's a client, if we can tap into these different skills, it will help us to really add value to that person's life and their work. So hopefully that's helpful for you, Fazilla. If not, email me back. We'll talk further. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and learning how we can best serve you through this show. And that's going to just about do it for our time today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for joining us on this continual series of personal leadership. If you have comments or questions for this show on anything we've talked about thus far, anything you'd like to see in the future, send me an email. Again, that's feedback at innovatelearning.com or 877-LEARN-45 is our listener hotline. Hey, if your organization is looking to improve the coaching skills of its leader, its leadership, let us know. We might be able to help. You can call us at 877-LEARN-45. And in the meantime, hope you have a great week and look forward to talking with you all next week about our personal visions. See you January 23rd. Take care, everybody.